Welcome to Enough Room, a music learning project with Symphony Nova Scotia, supported by TD Bank Group. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our discussion with Danuk Wijeratne. My name is Daniel Bartholomew. I'm Symphony Nova Scotia's community ambassador and artist in residence. And um, this evening we have with us Danuk Wijeratne. I'm going to let you introduce yourself, Danuk, and talk a little bit about, I mean, every, I'm sure most of the people watching this already know you and know about your work. But in a couple of sentences, can you tell us who you are, where you are, what you're doing, and also where you have been in the past. Well, first of all, it's great to see you, Daniel. As always, I'm, I'm so grateful to be in this space with you. And uh, a huge hello to my musical family in Nova Scotia, Symphony Nova Scotia. I miss you so much. Uh, I miss Nova Scotia so much, my friends and family. I, I'm, I'm recording this from um, Pickering, Ontario. My wife and I have a house here, and uh, we've been quietly getting on with things. Yes, yeah, so I've been I've been composing away and having many Zoom conversations with my dear colleagues in the industry. Um, as most of you know, I'm I'm a composer first and foremost, so that's what I do. I spend most of my day creating musical content, uh, but of course, as a conductor and as a pianist, as a performer. I've, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very much waiting until we can all open up again. Absolutely. I am, I'm in Toronto currently, and I'm feeling the same things that you've been feeling in terms of, I'm used to being out in Nova Scotia at least once a month, and you realize how much you miss it when you're, when you're away for so many reasons. Of course. Yeah, and now it's all the Zoom calls. We know, you know, everybody knows what's been happening. We've all been touched and affected by it. So... In terms of just like figuring out where you are, how has how is this as a composer? How has the current pandemic shaped and affected you? Just a couple of words, like what, what has it done to you to your work, basically? I mean, that's an interesting question because in in terms of your c composing life, pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, it's all the same. You still sit in this room by yourself, you know, in in total solitude. Um, and in, in that sense, you know, you're, you're in the same kind of solitude and, and in a sense, in a bizarre way, it's been an advantage in that sense, because some of those pieces I've had more time to work on those and I'm not running around traveling and everything. But uh, like I said, as, because the other half of me is very much a performer, that's been very difficult. As, as a pianist or a conductor or both? Both, both actually. I had sort of a whole uh, season of concerts and uh, they've been cancelled or postponed, and um, yeah, and and I think you know, particularly during the, the at the beginning of the pandemic when we were in lockdown and everything, I, I I kind of started practicing frantically every evening just for the sake of trying to pretend that I was on stage, you know, and occasionally you'd get into the music and you'd almost imagine that one of your colleagues would be there next to you playing. And then, of course, you realize that you're not on stage, you know, so that was that's quite a that's a, a surreal thing. And, and I think all all of us as mu as musicians, we're missing that. Right. And speaking of stages, um, the stages of the Rebecca Cohn Auditorium, it's a stage that we have both shared in the same job. Of course, we have both done the same the same job, which is really interesting. So I remember, dear viewers, when I was in uh, Royal Northern College of Music in Manchester, and my teacher, our teacher, Clark Rundell, Danuk, let's just give a big shout out a big, uh, of love to Clark. Hi, Clark. Big love to Clark. 
he loved, this is our teacher. It's fantastic. And Zanuck and I had the same teacher at Royal Northern College of Music in Manchester, Clark Rundell, a wonderful person. I remember distinctly when, this is, I was just doing my master's, and he talked about you and he said, oh yes, Danook, when you go back to Canada, darling, you must get in touch with Danook. He's doing amazing things with Symphony Nova Scotia. And I was like, wow, like I wonder if I would ever get to conduct Symphony Nova Scotia. I, I remember that moment. This was in like 2006 in England being like 14, 15, 14 years ago. And now here we are. Absolutely. It's, so it's really, that, that, so that's a really wonderful thing. That's a really wonderful thing. It's really a small world. It is. It is. And what's also interesting is that we're both people of color and we both, and I'll let you speak a little bit more precisely about how you, you know, might, might choose to, to, to broaden that out. But we're both people of color. We both share the same job with the same orchestra. Um, and that, that's a remarkable thing because there aren't really that many of us in terms of conductors. Not at all. No. You know, like getting right into it, we want to talk about what it's like. In, the, in this series, we're going to be talking about what it's like to be a person of color in the orchestral world. So how do you think, like, just, let's, let's just talk about that in and, and Symphony Nova Scotia. Like, what, 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 why do you think it is that we, we both have managed to be here? What do, what do you chalk that up to? It's kind of, it's an open question, but I, I don't know. What do you think? I, I don't know. I think the, fa the fact, well, I think it's, certainly karmic that we find ourselves connected to the same orchestra. Um, and, and I'm so grateful, you know, to have met you through, uh, through the orchestra I consider to be, you know, my musical family. Uh, but, in, you know, when you ask about why there are so few of us, uh, it, I, I don't know. It is a shame. I, I can speak about my background and I'd love to hear about yours too. I was born in Sri Lanka. I grew up in the Middle East and I had a very, I would say, Asian upbringing with a totally Western training. So it, I, I actually, you know, it's it's a huge, huge advantage, I think, in, in many ways, because there was that kind of dichotomy. Um, but of course, at the same time, you grow up with a certain kind of conflict. I was being trained as a Western musician in an Asian country. And um, I, to be honest, I never thought that there wasn't a place for me in this kind of music, even though I was just eating, breathing and sleeping Mozart, Beethoven, you know, the usual stuff. As I matured as a musician and ironically, as I left home, as I moved further and further west, I started to reach inside my musical language for all of the Asian influences. And, <clears throat> excuse me, what I discovered was that I absolutely believe that classical music is a blessed enough medium that it has plenty of room for people like me. So when I come across my colleagues who don't believe there is room for them, I very much want to be an advocate for them. For the younger generation who might be thinking, is there room for me as a person of color? I think, yes, if there's one thing I can do, it's become an advocate for you and, 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 show you, show the practitioners and the audiences that this medium is flexible and malleable enough and all-encompassing enough to certainly incorporate all of our experience. And you said that you have, you didn't have a moment where you felt, this is not my place. Have you since that time, or in recent times, had a moment where you thought, oh, maybe this isn't my place? Has that ever crossed your mind? To be honest, no. And I think that is probably just 
probably luck and karma and chance uh, that I, you know, I have had teachers who probably didn't create an atmosphere where I didn't think I didn't have a place. And I mean, that said, if I have been discriminated against, maybe it it never, I, I just don't think it happened to my face. Uh, maybe it happened behind my back, I'll never know. But that's just been my personal experience. But I, I you know, I've been in this business for long enough to know that people have not been so lucky. Right, yeah. you, you do hear that. And when you talk about people, like when you're working with youth, because I know you do a lot of work with youth and young people and up and coming artists. Is that a sense that they have that um, maybe that, that they're knocking on a door where they may not be welcome? Do you feel that's in the next generation or no? I think in part, I feel it. I feel it from certain people. It's I, I should say it's not the prevailing message because one of the things I do also is I consult on creativity with different artists. And um, here's what's interesting. I think what I've discovered is that most of the problems people come to me with are regarding how do I be authentic, right? This is a fascinating topic because in a sense, it's just finding a place in this medium for authenticity, however they define it, right? And that need not be cultural or something specific. It's just, you know, I am a complex human being with a certain number of identities that I'm trying to reconcile. How can I use my music to communicate that? And I think that's a fundamental thing that people are searching for. And culturally and and um, in terms of artists of color, that certainly fits within that that umbrella. So how what are some of the barriers that people find towards their own authenticity? Because I think for composers and probably for people that are watching this as well, too, in whatever their, whatever their medium of art may be, whether their medium of art is um, just, you know, what, and, but I mean that very broadly, just to the regular life, the search for authenticity. What, what are barriers to that that people regularly encounter? Well, that's a fascinating question because in any kind of art form that evolves over time, certain structures are set up, right? So let's take an example. The orchestra is a kind of structure. It's evolved because creators, um, since the beginning of Western classical music, wanted to compose music and they, they, they improved the technology and they improved their ideas and they tried new things, etc., etc. So a certain structure has evolved. Now, when structures evolve, what happens is, as a result, limits are set up, right? So for instance, one limit is a certain kind of orchestra needs a certain number of musicians, etc. A different kind of orchestra you need to, you know, so uh, limits exist at any kind of level of a parameter. And human psychology is such that as soon as there, are, there is a limit, people, human beings tend to start thinking in grid-like ways. Institutions evolve, education systems evolve, all kinds of things. Businesses evolve. So for instance, the beginning of the business of the orchestra will begin at some point. And so what happens is, you know, these, these limits which allow us to, uh, the limits allow us to push against them, to be creative. But at the same time, the limit is a blessing and a curse. So what happens is as the limit uh, passes through time, we might perceive those limits as absolutely sacrosanct. 
for example, composers might evolve to believe that they can't write a certain kind of piece for whatever reason. And I think, you know, it's just healthy that uh, every so often you need to check in with those things and question their validity and question all of the assumptions, you know. So, for instance, why don't we have more improvised cadenzas or why don't we have more this? Why don't we have more that? I don't think there's anything, you know, why don't we applaud at this point? I don't think there's any problem questioning those things because it allows us to just um, re-examine our point of reference. And what have you questioned personally? Well, uh, many things, I think, according to my lens. So my lens, as I said, is, you know, I grew up torn between cultures in some way. So it's no surprise that my music sounds like that. And I've used my music. I actually reframe that. I just think I'm so blessed to have a life where I can use music to reconcile multiple identities. So it's no surprise then that the lens through which I see the world or the tint on that lens, if you like, is, you know, I'm fascinated by the meeting of cultures or uh, seeing as I was always fascinated by improvisation in different cultural um, musics, it's no surprise that I look at life in terms of this boundary between what is composed and what is improvised. Right. You know, even on a kind of metaphorical level. So so like what have we planned as we're speaking now and what are we saying off the cuff? That I find fascinating. I just I just love that, you know. So so I think and, and those are just like two, I would say, two main preoccupations. I would say a, a big third preoccupation is this tension between tradition and innovation. And and classical music is great for that. Wow. Like we are steeped. As Western musicians, we are steeped in an incredible history. So um, let's have fun with it, you know. Tradition versus innovation. And that seems to be one of the cruxes of where we are at this very present moment. Because we have an industry that was making some changes and was being innovative. But one might argue we were still doing that within those very confined spaces that you talked about. And now those spaces are gone. We can't meet because of X, Y, Z, all the reasons, blah, 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 blah. Everybody already knows. Talked about too much, right? But now we have to be inventive. How are we gonna, how are we gonna get music to people? Now we have to do it. So we are at a moment, I think, where tradition and innovation, I, I guess the, the intersection of those two things is, is kind of what is happening right now. We're really being forced to explore those boundaries. And especially in terms of tradition, um, I think in terms of who's on stage and who's playing and what composers look like and who has access to the stage. I don't know if I'd call those traditions because, um, I mean, my, my path to the stage did not have a lot of the obstacles of race that I've heard of from other people. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to know about that, actually. I'd love to hear, you know, your background. Yeah, I, I'm curious about it, too, even though it was me. I'm like, how, how, did, how did this happen? Okay, bluntly, when I signed up for band in grade seven, I was given a tuba. I think it cost $30 for the year. So I became a tuba player. And if I'd wanted a trumpet, that which wouldn't have gone so well, uh, probably. <laughs> even learning trumpet, I'm not, like, not a trumpet player at all. You know, um, it would have been a different story. I would have, I, we wouldn't have been able to afford it, and I would be probably designing car interiors for Audi right now. You know, or doing something totally different. Who knows what? But I had access to music education. That's the first thing. And I did not come from a family where, you know, there was tons and tons of cash. I had two parents who were nurses and they were, you know, young nurses. So it's like, okay, 
I didn't have money. Like we didn't have money for a five thousand or ten thousand dollar tuba, you know, for a thirteen year old. That's just not going to happen. So I had access to instruments. I had access to instruction, daily instruction in the school because of the parent working. Uh, you know, after after one parent died, with my mom working shift work, you know, I didn't have time to go to lessons. I was just, you know, I was going to a babysitter or Francis. No, I, the lessons were there in school, so I had access. I had mm-hmm. access. And inside of that access, I had encouragement. So nobody, like when we did the documentary, um, Sharon Lewis, amazing director, she said, so, you know, what was it like in Calgary growing up as a black kid in music? And I was like, um, no, no, she, she, didn't, she didn't say growing up as a black kid. She's like, what was it like growing up in Calgary, Alberta? I was like, oh, it was it was good. I, you know, I had a good, I had a really great experience growing up in Calgary. I love it. I love Alberta. I love Calgary. And she's like, you know, but what was it like, you know? And I was like, oh, it was cold. It was really cold, right? And <laughs> she was thinking, you know, that, um, that, you know, were there people who said, oh, you should never become a conductor. You know, you can't become a conductor. That's for, like, the white man. That's for... No, no. From when I was in junior high school, Nicole Haycock, my one teacher, she was like, oh, you should be a conductor. And my friend, like, and these are all non-people of color people, are like, oh, you should become a conductor. My high school band teacher, you should become a conductor. Then when I went to Brooklyn, my family living in, like, um, off of Lenox, right? And Flatbush in the heart of, like, Caribbean, Jamaican, Brooklyn. And I'd be hanging out with my cousin's friend. And they're like, you know, like, they're like real, like, Brooklyn black people. And they'd be like, oh, you're into classical music. That's so cool. You want to be a conductor? Go for it, man. My aunt, go. So that was my experience. That's not the experience of everybody. Not necessarily, no. No. I think it's been a mixed bag. But I, I love, I love the way you put it in terms of what was the first thing you said? Access. Access. There should be access for everyone um, because it's a medium that can you can use to tell your story. The medium is flexible enough and malleable enough. Access, to be blunt, access looks like money because somebody at some point had said, we value this enough that we're going to put funding behind acquiring those instruments over the long term. We're going to put funding into making sure that students can get to and from concerts where they can be inspired. We can, we, we're going to make sure that kids have access, right? And if they, and if they don't have, the, if the parents don't have the funding for that, and if, uh, then we will do something. I don't know, I don't know, whatever, like, and I'm not talking, I'm talking private government, whatever, but something will happen, right? Somebody at some point provided some funding for that, and that's a really, really important piece. Um, when let's say a young musician is in that, has access, people need to hold space for you. And I I forget exactly the word you said, but then they need to enable you or allow you to explore what you want to explore. Yeah, encouragement. Encourage. Encouragement. Encouragement. Because I can, and and this is something, this is something that's interesting, right? When Edward Elgar was going to quit composing, his friend, whose first name, I think it was August Yeager, that was his friend who came to him and said, you can look up the quote, but it's, he said something very beautiful to him. Very simple and beautiful. No, you, we need you. It's like, long as like, we need you. There's still lots of music left in you. Something like that. Oh, Jaeger, Jaeger ended up having some kind of portrait in the variations. Jaeger in uh, German is hunter. Uh, and uh, Nimrod is the great mythical hunter. So then we got the, the Enigma variations. I can take you to where I was sitting in the Boston Pizza in Crowfoot in Calgary, Alberta. Those of you know, like, you know, Calgary, Crowfoot, Boston Pizza, where I very shyly said to my friend, Keith, who was sitting there, you know, 
I'm thinking about becoming a conductor. And he was like, oh, yeah, I could totally see that. You have great stage presence. And then went on eating his pizza, right? And part of me, it's like there are these critical moments. Mm-hmm. These critical moments. And if he had just said, oh, yeah, whatever, all that. He meant so much to me at that moment that if he hadn't said that, I just wonder what direction. I just, I, I just wonder. I can't know. Maybe something else would have picked up, right? But um, it just shows how a word here and there to a person who is um, unsure can be very, very effective. Thinking of role, so he was a role model for me. I think of um, political leaders that I saw who were black, James the Priest, who was a black conductor. I never had any contact with any of these people, right? But uh, I remember just seeing Colin Powell, right? He was a black leader in the States. Um, we're not gonna get into his politics or anything like that. I just saw as a kid, a black leader, and I was like, oh, he, oh, he's, he's this, oh, I can, I can be that, I can do that. And I think for us, as leaders of people, I think just, I, I imagine, I hope that our presence, our having space on the podium in the arts is some way intrinsically encouraging to younger people who are thinking of, 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 uh, of, of coming up and taking space. I don't know. I hope so. And I think, I think you're totally right. You know, just because you may have access doesn't mean that you'll get the encouragement at the right moment. And I'm so glad that in your story you did, because, um, we all have these pivotal moments, and if we're not lucky enough to be in the room with someone who gives us that, let's say, permission we want at that very formative time in our lives, it, you know, we are sensitive people, and that might hold right. us back. So this is actually, and maybe this is um, like how we can start working on a solution, because I don't know about you, but I am, I'm, I'm very practical, I'm very practical and I always want a solution. I want to be able to do something. And maybe that's because I want to have control. Of it. But there are a lot of problems. And ever since George Floyd, which was a huge turning point, you know, we saw, um, you know, we're talking about what are the problems and what are the, and what are the, what are the solutions? I don't know. I want to ask you what the problem is. I want to ask you what the solution is. But before I do that, I'm going to give what I think the solution is. Even before we talk about what the problem is. <laughs> um, I think, Whatever the solution is for the problems that are facing the industry, and I know I'm doing this backwards, but we can follow this because we're all intelligent people. I think there's a structural thing that has to be taken care of in terms of like, we look at the structure, we look at big issues like funding, we look at big things like timelines, we look at big things like traditions at a very, very high level. But then also as individuals on a very, very in touch, let's, let's say I use high, so let's say like on a very, very low level, we're also thinking about like individuals that we can encourage. So it's never totally abstract and it's never totally concrete. But at the same time as I'm trying to work with a big structure, whatever the solution is, I'm also, I also have a person. Just because I'm black and part of the LGBTQ community doesn't mean necessarily that I'm woke in any in any sense, right? So I was working on projects with indigenous uh, indigenous music, indigenous musicians, and I thought to myself, why is it I'm doing all of this on a structural level, but do I actually have any friends that are part of the, that are indigenous? And if not, why not? Mm. What's up with that? Is it only just structural in my life? So as I start to continue doing work with Indigenous musicians, one of the things that I've worked on is having people in my life that are actually in the Indigenous community. Your social circle, yeah. Yeah, exactly, social circle, right? So that's the structure 
in which I would contain an answer to what is happening. What do you think some of the problems are we're facing in the industry? Now I'd like you. <laughs> and just so you know, uh, when Danuk and I chat, which, which happens <laughs> not often enough. Not often enough, no. You're just seeing one of these conversations. Now it's just being recorded. So, so Danuk... Yeah, there was no prep for this. This is if we're talking about the boundary of composition and improvisation. And because it's improvised, yeah. I'm going to go back a step and I'm going to ask you a very direct, very strong question. Be Beethoven, yes or no? Is that the question? That is the question. Well, I mean, that's a complex question because Mozart is my favorite composer. So... <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. That's great. I always know. I always admire Beethoven um, from afar, but Mozart is my guy. So how are you orienting yourself as a musician of color to the Western European canon that's been handed down to us? Well, I think, I mean, I've been doing it for so long. I don't see it as a problem in the sense that um, I've been creating the music I've wanted to create for so long that now it's it's just my daily life. And I think, gosh, I'm so blessed. And I remember, you know, just to just to mention Symphony Nova Scotia, I think my career as a conduct um, composer took off when they played my tabla concerto with with such passion, and that's a memory I'll never forget. You know, and the piece got out there. And, and I, you know, I stepped back and I realized, okay, this is a piece that I used very much to kind of reconcile all of these sort of cultural tensions, shall we say. And I think if you do that for long enough, you don't see the tensions as tensions. You just think of, you think of that as something so much fun. You, you can just have so much fun leveraging those things, which is why I'm, I want to say to people, let's have fun leveraging the tradition against the innovation. I think the central question is, We've had to pause classical music in many ways during the pandemic. The question that I think about all the time is when we go back to business as usual, when we go back to normal, do we want it to look exactly the way it did as before? And my answer is no, not exactly, because I want certain things to happen, hopefully, certain things to start taking off and for us to continue to move in a positive direction. And that's... That's because I, I have great belief. If, if I've been able to express myself using this medium, which, you know, you could have said, well, I maybe uh, there's no, um, I could easily have grown up thinking this is the white person's medium, right? But, but I didn't, and it's found a place for me, and, and I love it, and that's my life. So then I want other people to feel like this canvas is big enough for you to tell your story. There, there is no reason the orchestral medium, what I say to composers is, you know, composers who want to find a place for their identity. I see, I see the Western classical orchestra as a beautiful blank canvas. If it happens to have a certain history that's steeped in um, white male European composers, fine. I'm glad we have great repertoire, but there's no reason um, the industry cannot now reflect a globalized world and hugely multicultural cities. Ultimately, I think we want to get to a point where if you're in a metropolis and you go out for a concert, then hopefully what you see on stage is a mirror for society. In some way, and in the orchestra and in the programming. Yeah, I love, I love that idea. I love that idea of the orchestra being, you said a canvas. 
It is a blank canvas, a beautiful blank canvas on which you can make your statement. And I think that idea probably, um, like I've, I, I've, I've thought of the idea of the orchestra being a library of sounds. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Applied, and I think that I think that probably filtered through the the DNA of Symphony Nova Scotia from you to infiltrate my thinking and your composer. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, no, but, but we're definitely on the definitely on the same page. Definitely on the same page with that. So, um, it's kind of revolutionary what you said because it means that we change the structure of. Well, is it revolutionary? I don't know because, I mean, okay, I'm sorry. I look at the um, the program for the season brochure for Symphony Nova Scotia for the last one that we did before 2020 happened, right? And I was and there is work to be done. We have work to do, right? But I was proud of our. I was. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just really proud of what we put together. Absolutely, you should be. No, people say, but you're missing this and you're missing this and you're missing this. But I was like. It was the it was the season brochure of an organization that was trying and not getting everything perfect and not getting everything right, but trying. And I think one of the things that frustrates me is that sometimes I feel currently there's not a space for people to try and fail. And I think we have to have a degree of um, exactly what you're saying. This is improvisation. It's a time of experimentation and people, ha we have as, as organizations, we have to collective patience with organizations as we try and do new things and have gentle guidance from people. Yeah, this worked, this didn't work. But I think that sort of an overarching um, spirit about the whole thing will help us get to where we need to get in terms of trying to make the orchestra look like the community. And that does not mean we stop playing Beethoven. Oh my goodness. Absolutely not. I felt like I've, like, like as a person of color, that now I have to be the one who champions Beethoven in a sense, you know, and says, hey, 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 you know, we, um, like that, people said, so why are you in orchestral music? And I'm like, well, have you heard Brahms Opus 118, Opus 119? I mean, those are piano pieces, but like, <laughs> but like, so it, it and for me, in terms of like, you're talking about, you just grew up with this, it's the water you live in. Uh, it's the water, you know, the air you breathe, the water you live in. For me, that's the end of the argument. It's like, well, listen to the first movement of Beethoven 9. Not the fourth, the first. Like for me, that I was, I was done. At 10 years old, I heard that I was done. So at times I felt now as if I've had to, and not, I, I, I felt a little bit at times, like I've had to justify, well, why are you playing that music, right? And I have, you know, a page of arguments, that blah, 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 not even arguments, but just like, like I can, I can do that, that whole thing. Um, but yeah, the, the orchestra is so powerful and orchestral music is so powerful. And now, especially when we get together in the same room and play and perform and have that communal experience, it's so powerful. Um, Brene Brown, and I'm not even on the script of our questions anymore. So we're just like, no, no, no. I love, I bring on the Brene Brown. I'm a big fan. Cause I want to talk a little bit more about your ingenuity and innovation, but Brene Brown, um, talked about, I can't remember if it was in a lecture and a book that I just read but spaces of collective grief and collective joy and how funerals are important because they're a space of collective grief and sports games and events like that are important because they're spaces of collective, depending on the team you're cheering for, collective grief and collective celebration. And I think of how a symphony 
um, or a tone poem or an orchestral pops concert um, with Dutch Robinson or, uh, you know, a family concert with Jamila is an occasion of collective celebration and collective suffering and collective sorrow. It's the, it's the collectiveness, collective cohesion through art that is so important that we miss so much. I mean, we're still doing it now. No, but music music is such an all-encompassing medium, you know? Like, uh, we wouldn't be having this discussion if music had its limits. But it doesn't. So the question is, how do we build, continue to build the infrastructures so that the music we make reflects the diversity of what we see around us, right? So what are you doing about that now? Well, I mean... I have to say, I'm not affiliated to any institution or organization at the moment. So it's mostly me in this room, you know, questioning what I can do. And so I go on making my music. Um, I love having discussions like this. I've been invited to do many. And I, I, I should say, before the cultural thing, my area is usually creativity. But we get to, through the creativity, we talk about authenticity and then I end up talking to a lot of musicians of color, right, in, in terms of how we, how we can express ourselves. But while I've not been conducting and performing as a pianist, I think there's been more time for speaking to creators across disciplines and mostly musicians about the change we want to see. And like I said, if I could be, if I'm one person who has... Um, I mean, you know, I've been blessed not to have had certain barriers. I would love to then be someone who could potentially empower someone else to believe that this medium is enough for them to tell their story. So you're really working with individuals to you're kind of you're kind of coming alongside of people, and I, I, I've 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 seen this at, at different levels, Danuk. Um, what you're doing, the way that you're putting content out there and content is too meek of a word for what it is that you're that you're talking about um workshops talking it's pretty it's pretty remarkable and you know i i i have to say i loved 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 what symphony nova scotia was able to do in terms of a pivot with the youth orchestra camp this year right so some people might not be familiar with that why don't you talk a little bit about what happened with youth orchestra camp yeah so so this is the first time in 13 years where i've not been the music director of the nsyo and and the plan was for me to come back and, and be a guest uh, in the April concert. Of course, that didn't happen. But every summer, every August, we would have a summer camp. And it was this super intensive 10-day nonstop thing where you're playing music six hours a day and you've got three concerts. You know, it was just just trial by fire and we loved it, right? I loved it. The students loved it. And, and it, I think it's just been amazing how the organization realized, okay, we can't get into a room together. What do we do instead? And I remember having a discussion with someone and, 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 you know, and I said, ironically, all those times where we would have to rehearse a piece nonstop, part of me really wished we had a bit more time to talk about music. So, so for instance, I, I, I always say it's not, it's not good enough with that. We just play, play music. Music is so rich that we do have to have a little time to talk about it. Right to talk about its power, uh, to talk about what it's able to do for all of us as humans. And particularly when it comes to young musicians, you need more time to talk about it. You need more time, right? And, um, 
And and so what I would do is I'd try to have kind of, you know, bring your lunch and du- during lunchtime or a rehearsal break, we'll just we'll just talk about stuff or we'll have a we'll have a, a heading for a discussion that's that allows some kind of loose Q&A. And what happened during the camp was uh, SNS set up a series of lectures, Zoom lectures. You did one. I did one. Uh, Holly did one. Uh, there were, of course, some technical trainings, but I think we we held a lot of space for the youth to ask questions about the industry they were interested in. And I thought it was fabulous that one of the sessions was about the piece that Laura and uh, Rebecca collaborated on. Uh, I forget the title, but with the... Crystal drumming, I believe. Yes, yes. With the indigenous influences and everything. I think, yeah, fabulous. So I, I really think... And I actually asked one of the the young musicians at the end, you know, what what what's your takeaway been of this week? And and they said, oh, to challenge tradition. And I thought that's great, you know, like you know, we ask questions, we we challenge all of the assumptions, and that's the only way for us to figure out how we're going to go forwards. Right. Yeah. And it's funny. It's funny because that reminds me of a rabbinical story where um, in. In a synagogue, there was a tradi- there, there were two sides of the congregation that were fighting because they couldn't remember if they were supposed to stand up after a certain prayer or sit down. So what would happen is half would stand, half would sit, and then there'd be a big discussion and, and a big fight. So they went to ask somebody who'd been a member of the synagogue years and years, like for years, but was in a retirement home. So they went to him and they said, well, do we stand up or do we sit down? Which is the tradition? And the first person said, it's, it's the tradition that we stand up. And he said, no, that was not the tradition. And the first person said, ha, see, it's right. It's the tradition that we sit down. And he said, no, that also is not the tradition. And they both said, well, then what is it? Because now it's like half sit, half stand. And then everybody starts fighting. Said, ah, that, that is the, that was the tradition. Exactly. And this challenging of tradition, when I think of Mr. Beethoven once again, there we go, Right. That was something that he did that would, you know, like, you know, introducing a second theme where what these tiny little shifts. Yeah. And I and I, I love your story because the point of it is that the discussion happens. Right. I mean, let's take a very trivial point. Do you applaud in between movements? The, the point of it is not what tradition said at whatever point in history. The point of it is we need to have a discussion about that because in some situations it might work and you could argue that in other situations it doesn't work but the but but the fact that we're constantly reacquainting ourselves with the traditions questioning them in order to assess our point of reference for the way forward that's what's good but is is there is there a place in your heart for this is how they did it that's how we're going to do it uh Generally, no, I don't think. Okay, you're further ahead than I am. I do have a little, a little. Ah, oh, this is how they did it. Oh, I remember well. Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> like I, I don't know. I don't know whether I would want to hear my favorite Mozart pieces played by an orchestra of only tubers, maybe. But hey, whoa! Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but, <laughs> hold on. Now, now, okay. Now it's conflict time. Now we got it. <laughs> but but no, the creator in me should should actually accept that. If it's a good sound, it's a good sound. Jokes aside, um, and jokes incorporated, I think I think I, I, I agree. I think that's what makes it interesting is that discussion. Because even in a sense, the move away from tradition also reestablishes and pays respect to the tradition, reifies the tradition. 
in a sense, because it says this is the thing that we are moving away from. So you can't, you can't ever get rid of tradition, especially if it's your point of departure, you know, and maybe, and you know, it's interesting that um, points of departure, yet yours, you said, is growing up in the Middle East and mine is having roots in the Caribbean, um, in, in the Caribbean, sorry. Um, those roots stay with you. And I think for both of us, just drawing to a close here, it's, um, it's really, it's really remarkable, Danuk. It's really, it's really cool how, um, you know, it's just really neat the way that for both of us in different ways have been able to forge, forge a relationship with this orchestra. That's been, that's been wonderful. Yeah. And, and, and keep our roots and keep our, um, to make it part of it in an integral whole. And I don't think, I don't think self-consciously either, right? Like, oh, I have to, no, it's just like, like for me, like, oh, there's no, there's no calypso for orchestra. Okay, well, I'll just arrange the piece. You know, not trying to be like, I will now demonstrate my, no, it's just, that's just normal. That's because I grew up with, you know? Absolutely. And, and so. Actually, and if you, if you don't mind that I add to that, I think one of the problems about the word tradition is that people forget that we are always in motion through any art form, mm. right? Tradition is just a perception of something that's become fixed in time. Um, but in, in truth, everything is constantly in motion. This art form is evolving every single day. And ideally, you want it to be in step with the world, Technolog technologically, culturally, in terms of equity, diversity, all of those things. You want it to be in step with the world, ideally. Right. And evolution is something that's usually retroactively perceived. Right now, we're very, very fortunate to be in a moment where we can say, oh, look around, look outside. It's evolving right now. I open up my Gmail and I see orchestra evolving every day. Mm -hmm. And that is, <laughs> it's like the, um, I believe it's, it's an, uh, it's a curse. I can't remember which country it's from. May you live in interesting times. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> I think it's an Arab curse. Yeah, it's very interesting, but also a blessing. Also a blessing. So we're going to wrap this up in just a few moments here. I, I'm going to ask you, um, I'm going to ask you two questions. The second question is, is there anything that when we stop talking, you're going to wish, oh, I wish I had said this or that. Gosh. That's a, I see your strategy. That's a, that's a fine strategy there. So I'm going to give you a moment to think about that. Um, I just want to say on behalf of, you know, I, don't, I can't say on behalf of Symphony Nova Scotia because you're, you know, even more Symphony Nova Scotia than I am in terms of like, so many things, but um, it's just great to connect with you. I'm really glad that you're part of my life, part of my artistic life, part of likewise, my- Likewise, likewise. I've loved conducting your works. I want to conduct more of your works. Oh, oh yeah, and I really love your music as well too. And I, I look forward to what you're going to be, what you're, what you're going to be producing to us doing collaborations, to us doing things, mentoring young people um, in that project that we talked about coming soon, um, probably. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it, you're, so, you're a fantastic colleague. So I look forward to many more collaborations. So the feeling you, is mutual. Yeah. If you want to, if there's anything that we've missed that you, that you will regret not saying now is the, now, now's a moment for you to. I mean, I think, I think probably, you know, at the risk of sounding like a broken record, I think I would be saying it to any young musicians who might be watching this just to say that, you know, please know that this medium 
is something you can use to tell your story. And every artist, every human being has a very unique story that's very multi-textured. And as long as they have the courage to be authentic, and I hope there are enough of us who will encourage them to be authentic, then this medium is enough to tell your story. And more. I hope they know that. That's great. Yeah, we're blessed. We're blessed to be musicians. We're blessed to be classical musicians. We're there. Hmm. Yeah, and it's good that you say that. Yeah, but that's that was question two. What was question number one? No, uh, question number one changed into me talking about how great it was to um to be to be your colleague. So I think we'll leave question number one. That's good. No, and thank you. You're such a beautiful spirit. I jumped at the chance to speak with you. <laughs> so thank you for this space. Thanks so much, Danuk. All right. So look forward to hear. We'll we'll hear more from you, Danuk. And uh, if you, Danuk, where can we find you on? Some people want to find you on social media, and I know you you have your website um, that is there. Um, yeah, where can we find you online? Uh, I'm on Facebook. I also have my website, dinukwijaratna.com. And I I think this summer I joined Instagram, so I'm at uh, the handle Wijeratna Works. My last name and W-O-R-K-S, Wijeratna Works. But listen, I all my friends in Nova Scotia, oh my gosh, I miss you so much. Uh, I can't wait to see you again. Really miss Nova Scotia. Really miss Halifax. Really miss SNS. Absolutely. Big time. We will be back soon making the music. Okay. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. Take care. Take care.